0: I'll start with the set-aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps to recovery, the big book. What's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy on me. Help me to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, now, a couple things. Um, uh, I got a... Um, Comment on the site. I wrote a thought that probably he's the only person who's ever read. Their thoughts on recovery on the site. They're 77 on them, and I wrote a thought about fully conceding innermost selves that were alcoholic. And he said that uh, when you concede that you were an alcoholic, once you concede that, you're no longer an alcoholic, and that uh, he didn't have to drink again, and he could practice abstinence. And um, so I thought about it, it were, past tense. Uh, and uh, it actually says we learned. So they're telling you what they learned, that they had to fully concede to their innermost selves that they were alcoholics. At the time they learned that, they had to commit that they were an alcoholic at that point. You could say that we are alcoholics, but the way the tense is worded. And, um, They give you an example. Uh, The first example they give you is is a man of 30, and he drinks after 30 years, and he, uh, he dies. And they say, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And as Margaret described on her birthday, I can't, I have to take the first step every day. And I have to fully concede that I'm powerless over alcohol because I'm an alcoholic, and abstinence won't work for my spiritual malady and without treating the spiritual malady I'll drink again because I have no power of my own without God and I have a lot of power today the longer you're doing it you have more power but then if you stop doing it that power goes away pretty quickly and so uh, I want to stay connected to God Um, the second thing I want to say is that I spent quite a bit of time on resentment I think we did four talks. Uh, people got tired of reading those pages, I guess, but it's okay. I hadn't uh, covered uh, the four step on a new podcast for a while because we did some of the 12 and 12 and uh, some other things. And then we started the book over. And I talked too much, so it took us a while to get to page 64. Uh, but uh, we're in bondage to self. I can't. And we're never not in bondage with self. And so we have, to, we have to be freed from that all the time. But step four is where you've decided that you want God to be your manager because if you're in bondage to self, things will never work. And you'll drink again. Now, some people can stay in bondage to self and stay sober. Well, they're just miserable. That's not what the program's about. The program's about emotional sobriety, but physical sobriety is important. Without emotional sobriety, I can't say no to the first drink because I don't have a relationship with God. And the manifestations of self that make us bound to ourselves is the way we think, and the way we think is that we judge because we're in self, and we judge wrongly because we're deciding what I need in my instincts of life to be happy. What do I expect from other people? What do I expect from the world? How are people treating me? And I make these judgments all the time. Once I do that, I separate from God. And so we have to look at at anger, resentment, whatever you want to call it, is when you're bothered and you judge some situation or person or thing as being not where it should be. It could be as simple as you're running late to work and you notice everybody's driving too slow and the lights are too slow and you get all irritated and you're angry but you never say gee i should have left five minutes earlier and you see that something like that can screw in your day and then you get to work and you're irritable and then everybody's doing something wrong and you feel like the world's just doing this to me but i'm doing it to myself it's wrong Judgment, wrong reaction. And then when we have these wrong judgments and we act on them, we make big mistakes. We say things that ruin our relationships or we take actions to fix it and it's, it's, it never is good. And so I spent several pages on that and the thing that I want to emphasize because I've been studying scripture and um, I decided to study the Sermon on the Mount again and read it and try to understand it better, because that's what they studied, uh, the AA members, before they wrote the big book. And it was uh, very prominent uh, in their study. Uh, I won't go into the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount and blah, 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 but it's basically, for us, it's something we cannot perfect. We can't do the Sermon on the Mount. We don't have the power to do it perfectly. That's why in our book it says progress, not perfection. But it's it's how we should be in relationship to the world and God. And, and if you're Christian, you have a power now, and you're in the kingdom. And how are you going to act in the kingdom? And one of the big things in the blessed Beatitudes, be attitude, notice, the be, and, go, and that's why in the big book it talks about how we should be, and then the doing, is blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Everybody says, that's great. Good. Well, what they're telling you in the big book, and they tell you on page 66 and 67, is you have to forgive everybody. You have to say the prayers for you to be free from anger and to look at them with kind and loving and tolerance and patience and understanding. Because if we don't do that, they become our higher power, and we're blocked from God's mercy. And if we want forgiveness, we have to forgive. Now, we say the Lord's Prayer, and I think we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It doesn't say, forgive our trespasses as we forgive some of the people who trespass us, because there are few that we just can't forgive. You know they were really bad. It doesn't say that, does it? And if you haven't forgiven someone, that's the key, and then they're going to block you from God. And how many of those can you have before you drink again? And then why would you not want to forgive them? That becomes a form of self-centeredness. That becomes, a, you're protecting yourself in some reason by blaming them, you don't want to forgive them, you don't want to look at yourself. So that's why you shouldn't do the resentment inventory by yourself. I thought that was funny, nobody laughed. And you should write it down. So when you write it down, stop, Scott. When you write it down and you put the columns, you can't take it back, and you should write it in ink, I think. And you can see it, and someone helps you see just the first three columns, how wrong your thinking was. And then you say these four prayers, and if you haven't forgiven them, you say them again. If you haven't forgiven them, you say them again. And that's something you have. You're the only person that can forgive. God won't make you forgive. He'll let you stay separated. I believe that, right? Has anybody stayed angry? We can do that. Now, once we ask God and we pray, no, the prayers are to God, right? We're asking God to show us, help us show the same tolerance and pity and patience. We're asking God to save me from being angry. God will do it if we ask him. And if we're not asking him, then we, then we make them power over us. Now, if we're completely powerless over alcohol, are you 100% powerless? Anybody not? See, if you think you're 98% powerless, then you can not forgive 2%. You get it? Or if you think you can manage 98% of your life well, but you're not going to give 2% to God, let me know how that works. And so uh, I really think that that blessed are the merciful. Blessed, it's a it's a state that of being and blessedness. It's hard to describe, but to the because I want mercy now. Does anybody believe in grace? Does anybody want God's grace? Well, that's His mercy. He's showing mercy on us who don't deserve it. Does any alcoholics think that they're great and they were great when they came in here and they were? sinless human beings who just had bad luck, any of those? No, we were a mess, anybody a mess? Yes, and we could see our troubles were of our own making, so we need mercy. Now, we're gonna talk about fear now, and I'll probably spend a few sessions on fear because fear is related to anger, because our fears are when we're threatened in a certain way we're threatened our self-esteem our pride we're protecting ourselves and we get threatened in some way we're not getting what we expect or need or whatever and that's fear and that leads to anger so they're interwoven and all your resentments have some fear behind them and if you work with someone you'll list your fears and so it says um notice i covered this on uh, Wednesday, but I'm going to read uh, this again. Notice the word fear is bracketed along the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and his wife. So 67 and 68 are essential to know, to know those words. 64 to 67, I believe, are essential. 69 to the end of the paragraph are essential, uh, chapter. It's essential that you really know this so you can live it. And it's not lip service, it has to be part of us. I have to know that fear touches every aspect of my life. Now, I think I was an all pro at fear when I came in. I I was very, in fact, I remember before I sobered up, I would have days where I would have moments where I'd be okay. You know, I'd sit there and things are good. And I didn't understand that feeling. And then I'd say, well, What should I be worried about? Anybody else like that? You know, it's that irritable, restless discontent. It's that underlying thing. We lived in it. Swim, fish ask each other, what's fear? Well, they're swimming in it. Fish each each other, what is resentment? They're swimming in it. We don't even see it. We're swimming in it. And I had so much fear when I came in. And when I look back at the, when I first uh, gave myself completely up, I was surrendered. I had a lot of fear. Anybody else have that? And I have to remember when I'm hard on the new people and they're always telling me, "Oh, what Dr. Mike told me and this and that." You know, like I was some terrible person. But I was probably I was probably straightforward, which alcoholics don't like. But I have to remember how much fear we had. How much fear I had people have who are new it's really there's things are caving down and actually the more fear you have the more you'll seek God I believe maybe I have to think about that but I think that makes you want to turn to God because you just you just want some peace in your life and it was an evil and corroding thread the fabric of my existence was shot through with it and that sounds good but what it means is that my whole life was ruined with fear I made decisions based on fear. Yeah, I, my tapestry of life could have been beautiful, but I put this this thread in there and made it ugly. God didn't do it. I did it. And I think today my tapestry looks a lot better than it did 21 years ago or 22 years ago. And my tapestry, when I came in, was not pretty. Anybody have shame and guilt when you come in? Anybody feel bad about things? Well, Yeah. And, that's, and we look at the tapestry. Why did I do that? And I still see that today and say, well, I'm not that person anymore. I did what I did, but I am I would be willing to make amends if it means amends. And these things pop in your mind. I think God does that so you can realize he's, we still need to stay on this deal. We still need to do this deal. And we're not the person we used to be, but we could at some point if we stop our relationship with him. And it sets them for. Um, circumstances that sets in and brings us misfortune. And then we didn't think we deserved it because we couldn't see it. And he says, but did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? See, I saw these circumstances and said, well, how'd that happen? But I didn't realize I set the ball rolling. And remember, it says our problems ar- arise out of ourselves and where self-will run riot. And our troubles are of my own making. Anybody believe that? That's true today. And I can ruin my day-to-day, like uh, uh, she said, what Margaret said at her birthday. I I remember her name, I'm not getting that bad. We think fear, (laughs) they're giving me a hard time, those listening. Fear ought to be classed with stealing. My whole life was stolen by fear and judgment. And uh, I don't know why I was like that except that I was living in me. Now, when I look back and I look at my four-step, or I do my 10th step today, and, and I look at things, I realize that if I have the wrong manager, <coughs> things are not gonna go well. I'll get fearful or I'll get angry. It's that simple. And I look back on my life and I had the wrong manager. So I made decisions based on self because I was running the show, and I forgive myself because I I was writing the show. I didn't know it. Now, today, if I'm running the show and I'm screwing up, I say, you're stupid. Stop it. I get back to God. That's the purpose of the fourth step is so you can do it every day, every minute. Because it says we watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear when we're in the world of the spirit in step 10. And I ask God at once to remove it. Just stop, Michael, right now, and then your day goes well. It's amazing how much better your relationships are when you do that. And it says that we're not in conflict with everything and everyone, so we want to get there. So now we're looking at it for the first time. It says we review our fears thoroughly. You put them on paper, so you write down any fears you have. And if you're working with somebody, you can help them. And there's some good uh, podcasts where I have some speakers who talk about fear, and it's very good how it's all interwoven. I always had fear that I wasn't good enough. I wanted approval. I remember as a little kid, I was worried about kindergarten, what I was wearing, and you know, what would people think, and my mother wasn't there when I came home, and all this nonsense, but I wanted approval. And now I get approval from doing God's will. Isn't that different? So how do you get self-esteem? You do esteemable acts. And I don't have to worry what people think to feel good. I just worry about if I'm doing God's will, then I'll feel okay. There's a total difference. Do you see that? And so circumstances don't determine anymore how I feel. It's my relationship with God. And that's what the serenity prayer is all about. So we asked ourselves why we had them. I know it seems silly, but when I read the next line, it was like, A light bulb clicked. I mean, it was one of the most powerful things I've ever read. It says, wasn't it because self-reliance failed me? I never thought about that. So people say that they can manage their lives and they're doing okay. How much fear are you having? How much judgment? When you're relying on self, how's it look? Now, as part of fear, I do this second step proposition exercise that will probably start uh, Wednesday. It's on the site for those who listen on the podcast, it's on their links, and I'll have Patty copy some more. And we'll go through that exercise. And why is it called the Second Step Proposition? Because the question in the Second Step on page, I don't know, I can't remember anymore, 53 I think is, is God everything or is he nothing? What is my choice to be? Now if I'm choosing God's nothing, then I'm running the show. And how does that look? So we're going to look at the question of who am I choosing, God or me, and how that relates to fear and how to be free of fear. And it follows the, the next few paragraphs, too. It's good. People have done it before. Anybody? Yeah. It's it's great. And I got it from uh, Fellowship of the Spirit 2001, listening on years ago and XA. And uh, they had the printout of the whole thing, and I printed it out. Self-reliance was good, but it wasn't good enough. Self-confidence did not fully solve the fear problem. In fact, sometimes it makes it worse. That's why I say, when people are making decisions, well, who told you to do that? You know, did I or did God? Is it self-seeking or not? And um, it says, when I was cocky, it was worse. I don't really want to be self-confident. I want to be God-confident. I want to be confident in God to direct my life. I don't want to run the show. Now, I still do it. Anybody still do it? Of course, because that's the way we're made. But we're, we're trained, the more you do this, to stop quickly. I think Susie said that the other night. We're trained to stop quickly. Stop it, Michael. Quickly, before it crops up. God, take it away. Now, I do have confidence in God that when I ask him to take it away, it happens. When I say the prayers for anger, it happens. In fact, I don't want to say all four prayers anymore. It takes too long. I just say, God, you know, I'm seeing it wrong. Give me tolerance. Give me love. They are who they are. Now, that doesn't take very long, and my day is better. Now, if I want to stay upset, that's my own decision. But I don't want to be disturbed anymore. So some people don't like the, the spiritual axiom that, well, you're disturbed. No matter what the cause, there's something wrong with you. And they, they write me, and there are all these examples and this and that. But if I'm self-centered, disturbed, there's something wrong with me. I'm in self. And then the whole question is, if you're disturbed, what are you not forgiving? What are you not practicing mercy? What are you still judging? And, and um, Sandy Beach tells the story of the Amish Quaker co- Amish couple whose son is murdered, and they go to the murderer and they comfort him. And he's talking about that because his daughter was murdered and how he remembered that. And so what can you not have mercy on? Who can you not? And I talk about, he also mentioned that idea of crucifixion, everything up to and including crucifixion, we forgive because that's what Christ said on the cross. And when you're not forgiving, who's playing God? Me. And it never works. Um, have you ever tried to have a relationship with somebody who won't forgive? It's very hard. It's extremely hard. They want to hold on to their resentment. It's very hard if you're a parent and your child is resentful at you for some silly reason. And it's very hard. It's very hard uh, in relationships with, with uh, in one you're in or the ex-relationships, too. Perhaps there's a better way we think so. There's a better way than self-reliance. We are now on a different basis. So if you want to live in the spiritual life, you have to live on a different basis because self-reliance fails you. So you're not only going to live on a different basis if you can see how it fails you. And you see that when you do your resentment inventory. You see it when you do your fears. And especially when you do your relationship inventory the basis of trusting and relying upon God. Why not? People don't want to hear about God. I say, how's that working for you? You know, or they don't want to do it. Well, eventually, either you're going to get defeated and surrendered by the disease to where you're willing to do this, or else you won't. And why do people not make it in AA? They don't want to rely and trust on God. They still want to manage their (coughs) own lives. And when they do that, they end up drinking again, or they're miserable. That's why we, our goal should be not how long we're sober, but are we emotionally sober? And Margaret did talk about that. That during and it progresses as you're sober, in your recovery, your spiritual growth uh, progresses and it changes. And of course, you have to, the more you practice it, the better you are at it. I, I heard in this room years ago from a man who uh, has now passed away. But, the you know, when you start your spiritual walk, you're not in shape. So it's like r- running a marathon. You're not gonna run 26 miles the first time. You run a little bit and you get stronger. And that's what the spiritual growth is in your r- recovery. The more you do it, the stronger you get. And then the better you get at it. So it's like exercise, bike, or running or anything. You have to start at some point, and you have to progress at it. I'm gonna trust infinite God rather than finite self. Anybody think that's a good idea? Yeah. So why don't I do it all the time? Sidney Beach, I'm quoting him a lot, but he was such a great carrier of the message. He's now passed away. He actually died during an AA meeting during the Serenity prayer. He was 82 or 3. that's what I understood. It could be wrong. But he said, the hardest thing about trusting God, you know what it is? Trusting God—it's hard because our natural incl- inclination is to trust me, and then I have to stop and say, "No, I got to trust God," and that can go on all day, the rest of your life. But you learn that when you trust God, things go better, and so you want to stop trusting yourself. But in the beginning, uh, you know, it's almost automatic—the way you react to things is always through self—and then you have to stop. It says on page eighty-seven, we have to pause with agitated or doubtful pause and ask God for the right thought or action. We have to pause. We have to see that we don't want to act when we're disturbed. Here's my role. I'm in the world. This is why I'm alive. That's my purpose is to play the role God assigns, not the one Michael assigns for God or me. I gave God some assignments. Did anybody do that? Yeah. How silly is that? But I'm going to play the role he assigns. And we talk about that on the uh, page 63. It says we have a new relationship. He's our father. He's our director. We serve him. As long as we stay close to him and play the, uh, do as he would have us do, he'll give me everything we need. We'll be fine. So, and God gets worry, which is fear. That's God's job to worry. When I'm worrying, I'm doing God's job because worrying won't help me at all. Now, if you're worried about having more money, you might want to go to work. You get it? There's certain things. If you're worried about treating your diabetes, you might want to follow the directions of the doctor. You might worry about not eating the wrong wrong things. You get it? There's certain, but we're not talking, we're talking about self-centered, worry and then if you worried about money and you don't go to work how's that going to work for you you get it and then you get angry and you get mad at god just to the extent that i do as i think he would have me and how do i think he would have me well that's a vision of god's will how do i want to be i want to be the St. francis prayer i've got some cards for people who may not have them that patty made and how do i want to how do I think he wants me to be? He wants me a channel of his peace. He wants me to bring love. He wants me to bring forgiveness, harmony, truth, faith, hope, light, and joy. He wants me to comfort rather than the comforted. He wants me to understand and to be understood, to love and to be loved. Isn't this great? This is the whole deal. All of AA is in this one prayer. For it is by self forgetting that one's fine. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. And it is by dying to self that one awakens to eternal life. And so when my son died, I saw this line. I was standing at the bottom of the stairs, the lower level, and I got this phone call at 7.20, and they said, your son your son died. And I saw this line, just to the extent that I do as I think he would have me, and humbly rely on him, see how he wants me to be, and rely on him to be and do it, Does he enable me to match calamity with serenity? How did that come into my mind, right? And I'm not making this up. Right at that moment when they told me he died, I saw that line. Now I'd studied the book. And so he put all these people, he got me into recovery. He got me studying the book and doing this so I could see that line. Just to the extent that I do as I think you would have and humbly rely on him does he enable me with calamity, with serenity? Doesn't mean that I wasn't sad. Doesn't mean that I didn't have grief. But I could be have a certain peace about it all, that this is just what happened. So I didn't ask the details of how he died in the car, who sold him the drugs, and this and that. I do not want to know any of it. He died. Now, how can I handle that? And with serenity, how can I have peace with it? It takes time, but you have God with you. And, and God works through people. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. So having, I met two people from AA when I went into the emergency room there to see him. And then when I came home, there were like 10 people from AA that were in my our house. And somebody brought groceries the next day. And, and we had people there and uh, they helped me through it. And then because of that, I decided to start this meeting, what, it would be 15 years, he died in August. And so I think that starting the meeting was a good way for me to handle this calamity. It was a positive thing for me. I think it helped me a lot with my grief. I don't talk about Curtis as, as much anymore, I didn't talk about him a lot, it's just, it is what it is, but you can match calamity with serenity, so you don't have to worry if you just the extent that you do is he would have you and humbly rely on him. Now, how do you know that? You work these steps. You read the book. You practice the, what's on these pages. You follow the directions for step 10 and 11 every day. It says, we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. It's It's hard. You can't, there are people who don't like, like me in AA. They've told me. I talk about God too much. They don't like this meeting. I talk about God too much. I said, well, don't come back. Or I'll say, how's that working for you? If it stops working for you, come back. Here's my phone number. Paradoxically, it's a way of strength. Remember, you have to be defeated to win. You have to surrender to win. You have to have faith means courage. Courage to do what? to trust God so we go from believing in God in step 2 to trusting in God in steps 10 and 11 and we have courage I have courage now when I see something and I start to have fear I have courage to say I trust you God I trust you I do say that and, and it'll work out in a way that I can't imagine it says on page 100 when we look back It's one of my favorite lines. In fact, I did it uh, last evening. When I look back, the things that have happened when I put myself in God's hands were better than anything I could have imagined. And then it makes you grateful. And then the next line is even more powerful. It says, for now we live in a new and a wonderful world no matter the circumstances because we're with God. So circumstances don't determine how I feel anymore. They shouldn't. Now, they still do, but then you stop, and you do 10 and 11, and you get back. And now here's the thing that I spent a lot of time blabbering to get to. It says, uh, we let God demonstrate through us what he can do. So that's what we're supposed to be. And that's what they talk about in Sermon on the Mount. That's what they talk about in Scripture. How In the St. Francis prayer, how I can let God demonstrate through me what he can do. So when people celebrate birthdays, I ask them, how do you let God do it? I mean, God does it. And so I have to let him demonstrate through me what he can do. And that's what the second step proposition exercise in fear is. You look at your fears and how you can demonstrate through you what God can do. Now here's the, uh, we ask him to remove our fear, so that's a prayer. So whenever I have a fear, I say, God, remove my fear of whatever it is. One, I know it's not true anymore. It's in the future. It hasn't happened yet. Now, as an alcoholic, I could sit in my chair, and I could take a little fear, and before you know it, I'm homeless, I've lost my job, and I have terminal cancer. Sounds preposterous. But alcoholics could do that, right? We could sit there and take a little fear, and we can blow it up. Oh, she didn't call me today. She's never going to come back. We're never going to talk again. Blah, 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 blah. Well, why didn't she call you? She may be in the hospital. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know if that made any sense. So I asked God to remove my fear. And here's the key. So I say the prayer, but that's not the key. The key is direct my attention to how I should be. Am I, should I be, I just be, Trusting in me, grateful, considerate, uh, patient, tolerant, be loving, be uh, comforting, be understanding. Who can I help? Can I be helpful to people? And if I turn my attention from fear to how I can be of service to God and his children. <clears throat> and at once it says you commence the outgrow of fear. So the more you do this, you begin to outgrow where fear is dominating your life. So I went a little over, but I hope it was helpful. It's good for me to review these pages, and then we're going to spend some time on Second Step Proposition Exercise. If you haven't done it, please come. Thank you.